Well, who's excited about the Christmas season? You guys ready for this? This has been so fun. In fact, what you just saw was a brief version of what's going to happen tonight at 6 o'clock. Got to see it last night. And what we had was this, uh, our, our Reader's Theater. They were doing like a radio play in front of everybody. And it was pretty incredible. It's a wonderful life. And I want to encourage you guys, be on, come on out. I'll tell you a little bit more about it at the end of the service. Come on out tonight, 6 o'clock. should be a great way to kick off your season and uh, also to help some people that are around you possibly. Now, for me, Christmas is uh, a time that honestly can be exciting, but also stressful, as we heard last week. Amen, right? We talked through that. Hopefully, your stress is lower now. Been dealing with that. But second, also, it's a time period of great parties. Man, you got all the family parties you get to go to. Aren't you excited about those? And then you get to go to all the staff parties and all the all the different parties that'll happen in your office place. Who enjoys those? Anybody? You know, you're like, a few of you? Yeah, I actually do. I enjoy ours at the church every year. And then there are those cases where you got your neighbor parties. Some of you had one of those recently. But here's the thing. Some of you don't look forward to those because there might be somebody that's there that you just can't stand. Isn't that true? You don't want them there. You don't want to see them there. In fact, you, when you do see them, you get a little upset and frustrated or, or maybe it's just a situation that's got you down and you're just like, I, I just can't go to one more family party with that person or one more situation. And I know this happens and it happens in small things and it happens in big things. Uh, I was praying about this in my life, and I was thinking about this idea of unforgiveness and bitterness and frustrations and stuff like that, and I thought, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I don't really have a lot of that in my life, and then this, as I was praying through this, God's like, well, what about this? And I remembered this event. It was years ago. It was roughly around uh, the transition between when I was doing youth ministry into becoming the senior pastor. It was maybe a couple years in after that. And uh, we were having a staff party at our house. I believe it was kind of like a Christmas gathering. And we were all hanging out and enjoying each other and talking. And and we were having fun. My wife, at this point, you know, she was doing everything she could to make the house look good. We were in a bit of a strap position. It was difficult to be paid kind of the youth pastor's salary uh, and not the senior pastor's salary. At the same time, adding four children into that mix is always tough too, isn't it? And so we had all that mess going on. And she, she had bought these two candle holders that were these white candle holders, put them under our under our television. They looked nice. They were cool. She liked them a lot. She'd kind of individually pick them out. It was one of those things. And in the middle of the party, everybody's enjoying each other's staffs, roaming around, talking about various things. And somebody just kind of wasn't paying attention and walked into the other room, bumps it over, and that white candle holder just falls down and cracks and smashes on the ground. And we're like, oh. And what was what happened was they picked it up and there was like, oops. And everybody was like, ha, ha, ha. And they all laughed. And they kind of handed it to us. They're like, sorry. And they handed it to us. And it was sort of this like, ow, added insult to injury kind of feeling. And suddenly we're looking at this thing and we're throwing it in the trash. And it was something that she liked and something that I cared about that my wife was hurt about. And I think what made it worse was they never offered once and this person could have done this. They could have easily just paid for it. It wasn't that expensive to say, hey, can I replace it? No offer like that at all. And so my wife and I, we've, over the years, we've learned, you know, that you just don't put your nice things out when people come over. That's just how this works, right? And that's what we've done, and, and I'm being facetious, but what's strange is this story crops up a lot in our conversations about our parties and stuff. And suddenly I realized in the middle of this, oh, that right there is a seed of bitterness, 
It is a small thing that he happened. And while it's such a small thing, it was attached to a very large situation in our life and has seeded into us kind of this sense of like, we want to just stick it to him and we're angry and it, and it continues to come up in our lives. And I didn't think of myself as somebody who was unforgiving or somebody who would have much bitterness. And yet right there is a good indication that there is some of it in me. And I want to ask you the question, do you have something like that? Do you have a situation in your life where maybe a name of a person is brought up? And to be quite honest with yourself, you're a little irritated when you hear about them. You're a little angry when you see their Instagram feed or you just check out their Facebook post. And there's just a little bit about you that's just like, you know what? I can't stand that person. Maybe you don't say it that way. Maybe you say that to your spouse and they're just like, yeah, you can't stand that person. Or maybe it's a situation where you've, you've got this event and you're replaying it over and over and everybody knows your white candle holder story because you've told everybody in your family that story over and over about what they did to you at work and how they got the job that you should have had or you know what they did at that family reunion, the way they treated you, name it. Or maybe it's just one of those situations where that person walks in the room and you're just waiting. You're hoping that they spill the punch on themselves or something bad happens, you know, whatever it is. Because you're just like, oh, I want them to get their comeuppance. Come on. That's a seed of bitterness. Maybe it's they gave you a present and you're going, you got me a present and you just don't want it. Or you got them a secret Santa and you're going, no, no, God, what are you doing? He's trying to teach you to forgive. That's what he's trying to do. And what we want to do is we want to see that bitterness is something in our hearts that needs to be dealt with. Bitterness is something that God doesn't want included in your hearts. In fact, the man who understood bitterness talked about it. This was a man who was, who was totally against the church, saw the movement of the church, saw it rising, was bitter and angry that this church was doing things to his faith, the Jewish faith, and his name was Saul. Now Jesus appears to him, resurrected from the dead, and converts Saul, and now as Paul the apostle, he goes into the world, and he starts promoting the church and promoting the gospel, radical transformation. And in one of his letters that he writes to the actual church plant that he gives in Ephesus, he talks about bitterness. He says, you know, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Notice that list real quick. Let all your bitterness with wrath and anger, that's that feeling you get when you hear about their name, when you see them coming up, you're like, that anger, clamor and slander, that's the repeating of that story. That's the bad-mouthing of that person when you're kind to them to your face and you walk away and go, I hate that guy, you know, that kind of situation. And then you got this situation of putting that away from you along with all malice. That's that hope for harm. That's that hope for their comeuppance. That's that hope for getting back at them, for vengeance. Instead, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted and forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And right here, when we see this bitter, he's saying you need to deal with bitterness. It will kill your Christmas. It will destroy the joy of the Christmas season. It will destroy the joy of your life because bitterness is one of those things that will creep in. It will cause that party to be destroyed because you fixate on a person. It will cause that event to be taken down because you're only thinking about that event. It will cause triggers in your life. In fact, it gets even worse because the bottom line is bitterness destroys. It can destroy. And God wants us to deal with it. He wants us to find freedom from bitterness because bitterness is dangerous. It's a lot like this thing. This is our pressure cooker at our house. How many of you love your Instapot? Any of you Instapot fans out there? Yeah, this is not an Instapot. This is my Chinese knockoff. And so what we have here is, uh, is, our, is ours, and it's pressurized like you're pressurized. I mean, we just look at it. I mean, look at that. It wants to spurt. And here's the problem. When you're bitter, 
When you've held on to bitterness, it pressurizes like, a, like an Instant Pot, like a pressure cooker, because what these do is they use intense pressure with heat to cook things very quickly. And what's going on often in your life, if you are bitter, you have an intense amount of pressure from the judgment and the anger and the triggering and all this stuff, and you're holding on to it, and it's cooking. It's cooking you. You are inside, and you're broiling, and you're bubbling with seething frustration and anger at what these people did to me and how they did it, and, da, 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 and it's just, ooh, it's, it's there. And people know it. Because some of you, it's just a drop. All you got to do is boom, and it's bursting out of you. It's ready to go. You're ready to attack. You're ready to take someone down. You're ready to yell and scream. You're ready to pop. And if you have an anger problem, if you have a, a verbal abuse problem, if you're just spouting, it's oftentimes deep down inside is a sense of bitterness. There is a sense of unforgiveness. There are grudges and a lot of work that you need to do to release some things in your life. It may be leading you to drink more than you would like to admit you're doing. It may be leading you to smoke and pot to calm yourself down because you think that's what you need. But the bottom line is the pressure that is produced from bitterness is dangerous. It's dangerous. In fact, these are so dangerous, we know how dangerous they are because they showed up at a particular marathon in Boston. And they were used in a manner as a bomb. And here's the thing, if you're full of bitterness with the pressure and the creation of the heat that's inside of you, guaranteed, you're a bomb waiting to explode. And the people around you know it. If you know there are people tiptoeing around you because they're afraid of what you might say, you need to check out what's going on in your heart. And hey, some of you, you're actually going, you're tiptoeing around that bomb, and you're not quite sure how to address this situation because this person is so full of bitterness. So today, all you need to do is elbow them in the middle of service because they won't respond in here. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But the point is, you need to help people get to that place where they are getting rid of this pressure of bitterness in their souls. See, psychology has shown us a lot of stuff about bitterness. In particular, Dr. Karsten Wirsch studied bitterness for 15 years. In the study, they discovered that, it, this, that harboring bitterness actually produces all kinds of problems biologically. Your metabolism slows down. It actually causes immune response issues. It causes organ function. It promotes disease in your life. Further studies have shown that your blood pressure is higher. Your, in fact, your heart disease is more likely and you will likely die of a heart problem if you are harboring bitterness. Doesn't it sound like one of those commercials where, you know, they offer you a particular drug and then they're like all these 9,000 warnings after it, you know what I'm talking about? And so I guess all I'm trying to tell you is don't take a pill of bitterness. Don't take it in. You can't afford to seed bitterness into your soul. You can't afford to take that pill. There are too many things that are pressurized in your heart that are going to destroy you because the bottom line is bitterness destroys. Oh, there's more. Wait for it. Here we go. Since I'm selling crockpots right now. Wait for it. There's more. And that's more. I have to take you to Canada to tell you about it. It's interesting. Up in Canada, back in the March of 2018, the... Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase announced that they were going to cancel Visa, Visa cards debt that they had because they were backing out of Canada. And so it came around, it took them a while, and it came around a time, and I believe it was, and we're, we'll just call it in the Christmas time, basically people were waking up, and they were finding out this awesome result. Their $3,000 of credit card debt was gone in one night. Who would want that Christmas present? Anybody up for that one? That would be awesome, right? 
and it just, poof, all their credit card was gone, and, and because they had backed out of Canada, they forgiven all this debt, and that's such a cool thing. In fact, there was one guy that, that, was, I, that I saw named Stan, and Stan's interesting because he had somehow manipulated the system to where he had wound up with $3 million in credit card debt. Now, they, had walked, they looked over this, they saw that it was fraud, and they looked at the situation, and so Chase called them in and called them up and said, you know, look, we're, we're going to have to have you arrested, we're going to have to have do something, you know, but it was near Christmas time, this guy starts begging, he's like, please, 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 don't, don't do this, don't destroy my family, I'm sorry, you know, I'll pay it all back, and they're just like, you know what, we're backing out anyway, we'll just cancel it. And as a sign of amazing grace, they just, they, they, they canceled this millions of dollars of debt. That's, if you've ever tried to pay back thousands of dollars of debt on a credit card, that's hard. I'm talking about $3 million, it's just but gone. And so Stan, was, it was interesting, they said that he went out that night, celebrated with his family, because he'd gone and pulled another credit card from another place, and um, <laughs> celebrated whole hog with his family, he got a nice dinner. As he's eat, leaving the restaurant with his family, he sees a guy who's pulled up and parked in front, getting, and, he's, and this guy borrowed money from him years ago, about several thousand dollars to purchase that particular car. And he goes up and he's like, well, he grabs him by the, by the neck and says, you, you owe me this money, man, what are you doing? Shaking him, the guy's like, I don't have it. He takes the car keys, gets in the car, tells his wife, drive the other car home, and drives away with the man's car. Well, inside the same Hosh Posh restaurant is uh, some people from uh, this uh, J.P. Morgan Chase and Company, and they see what goes on. So they call the boss. By the time the man drives home, they've repoed his car, they've kicked the kids out, they've locked the house doors, and they're arresting, they've arrested him and thrown him in jail for fraud. Now, obviously, this whole story is not, is not the real story. This is a parable Jesus told. Now, the, the fact that Chase actually forgave people in Canada is true. But the story I'm telling you is one that Jesus told in Matthew 18. It's a parable of this king who saw all of this owed to him and he forgave his servant. But that servant, when a little bit was owed to him, wouldn't forgive his, the guy, the, this other servant. And so he wound up in jail. Now here's the thing. At the end of that parable, as Jesus tells it, he states this here in Matthew 18, verse 35. He says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, namely throw you into jail, throw you into hell, basically, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And what Jesus is telling is a parable about bitterness. He's telling you a parable about unforgiveness. He's telling you it is eternally dangerous. You cannot harbor bitterness and not be threatened by the eternal danger that you're holding on to. Not only are you dangerous to yourself, not only are you dangerous to others, there is an eternal danger that is associated as we will not forgive others. So God will not forgive us. Jesus says this is because the heartbeat of the human being who is saved, the heartbeat of the Christian who has received Jesus needs to be that of forgiveness, of releasing this pressure. And so we want to find freedom from bitterness by practicing forgiveness, especially at Christmas time. Let's be honest. This is the time period of forgiveness. This is the time period of celebrating that Christ came to earth and as the angel told Joseph to save his people from their sins. The way you do that is through forgiveness. We want to be saved from our sins. We want to be forgiven of our sins. And the, this is why we need to be forgiving others. We can't hold on to these grudges. We can't hold on to this unforgiveness. It will build up. It will destroy your life. It will begin to melt you down inside and burst all over. It's eternally dangerous as well. And so I want to encourage you today to begin a journey that will set you free. I mean, first of all, freedom from stress. Oh, 
So good. Freedom from bitterness, even better. Freedom from both, now you're talking about a good Christmas coming up. And I want to encourage you guys, begin today to set yourself free through forgiveness. See, the only way to release bitterness is with forgiveness. The only way to release the pressure in the pressure cooker is to begin to let that out carefully and a little bit at a time because, now this is going to be all done, because ultimately you need to let that pressure out. You need to let that steam go. Bitterness is boiling up inside of us, and when we release that, we need to understand we're letting it go. We're letting all that judgment, all that tension be removed from our souls and let it come out. Now, I need to state a couple things because we have some ideas about forgiveness that are weird. First and foremost, forgiveness is not forgetting. Can we just say that clearly? You do not forgive and forget. We love to say that. You cannot forgive and forget. If you forget about something, it didn't need to be forgiven in the first place. It wasn't that offensive. You always remember what you need to forgive. And it's so important to put that in context, that you remember what you forgive. You see, forgiveness, for some of us, we think, I can't forgive because I could never forget this. And you know what? I just can't let them off the hook. That'd be letting them get away with what they did to me. How could I possibly do that? Well, here's the problem. I mean, just take my, my silly candlestick situation, which is a personal thing for me, but in reality, when I think about that, I'm saying, I'm holding on to this story, I'm holding on to this situation, and here's what's going on. I'm standing at a door of a jail cell, and I'm playing guard, and I'm telling that guy, you better stay in there until you paid the last penny, until you've apologized to me, until you paid me back, until you realize what you did. You know, until you do that, you're, you're just going to have to stay there, and I'm just going to stand here and wait until you tell me that. And in my soul, in essence, I'm standing guard against something that somebody has done wrong. You know, in reality, he's out there living his life. I'm the only one standing guard. I'm the only one playing the game. I'm punishing myself. I'm not punishing that person. And I'm playing judge, jury, and executioner, and that's a lot of pressure to hold on to. And right now, you're not letting them off the hook. You're letting yourself out of guard duty. You don't need to play guard anymore. You don't need to play judge anymore. You don't play jury anymore. They're out living their life. It's over. You need to be able to be free. And the way you get free is you forgive. And second, so it's not about forgetting. It's not about pretending either. Forgiveness isn't pretending. I mean, how many of us have done this? You're like at the party, and ladies, you do it, you do it this way. You typically, it's like, oh, hi, you look so pretty. Oh, I love your scarf. Oh, that's so wonderful. I hate that woman. You know, that's how that works. Men, we're just like, we walk up to each other, we stare at each other, sup, sup, jerk. You know, that's how we do it. We, we're just, but we all can pretend. We all can play this fake game like, we're cool, we're buds, <laughs> hey, yeah. And then we're stabbing each other in the back when nobody's looking. We're having the conversation when we get in the car. Can you believe what they did? La, 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 la. Can you believe that? I mean, he did this and da, da, and he does never forgive me. You know, it's all this stuff, guys. It's not pretending. You cannot pretend. Jesus, hear what he said again. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It has to be genuine. It has to be internal. It has to be real. Not only do you have to deal with the actual issue, you have to actually do it. You can't pretend that you've forgiven. You can't pretend that you've released somebody out. No, you actually must release them. It's the only way to release the pressure. 
And I need you guys to hear this because you have to swallow something and it's hard. And you're not swallowing bitterness, you're swallowing something else. You see, we got to remember, we were forgiven first. Jesus Christ bore our sins on the cross. And when you look at the cross, you get a picture of what forgiveness costs. God has every right in his sovereignty, in his goodness, in his holiness, in who he is as our creator, to punish us for the sins that we've committed. But instead what he did on the cross is he said, I have that right, but I'm going to swallow whole that punishment. I can forgive you of the debt in the picture of money, of millions of dollars, but he has to deal with the fact that the millions of dollars are gone. He has to deal with the result of the forgiveness. When we let someone out and we get off guard duty, in a very real way, you have to deal with, you have to swallow whole that punishment that you want to give. You have to let it go. And you have to accept that you're just going to release it. It's the only way forward. Because you're not going to get your justice. You're not going to get that nailed from you. You have to let it go. And the cross shows you that picture. It reveals that situation so that you can begin to move forward. Now, some of you guys are going, so does that mean i got to invite them to the Christmas party now? i got to buy them a present and i got to hang out? No, 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 no. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Can I make this clear? Forgiveness is the first step in a journey towards reconciliation, but forgiveness is not reconciliation here on earth. This is a two-part thing. You see, reconciliation actually requires a lot of pieces. It requires you to draw appropriate boundaries. It requires two of you to get together, for you to admit your part, them to admit their part, or in, that, in some cases for them to come and actually confess their sin, apologize for what they've done, to repent of what they've caused you, and then you get to draw a boundary. Well, then you're not going to do this anymore. Here's my boundary. From there, you're going to have to work on building trust. That's how you rebuild a relationship. That's how you get to reconciliation. You just don't go, hey, you're forgiven. Come on home. Huh? Beat me up again, dude. I forgive you again. No, that's not what Jesus means. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is grace. Reconciliation is a rebuilding. See, you give from you in forgiveness. It only takes one in forgiveness. It takes two in reconciliation. And so when you forgive, you're giving yourself the right to get out of guard duty. You're giving yourself the right to close the court. You're giving yourself the right to take the hood off because you're not going to execute that person anymore. You're not going to wish for their condemnation anymore. You're setting them free from you so that one day if they came to you and said, I'm sorry, you can say, I already forgave you. You live free. You depressurize the system, and you're able to move forward. But again, don't think that reconciliation is forgiveness. They're not the same thing. And so I challenge you, find freedom from bitterness by practicing forgiveness, not just so that you get the benefit, but again, as the Bible tells us, forgive because you've been forgiven. Forgive because we've been forgiven so much. And this is the critical piece that you have to remember. Unless we understand how much we've been forgiven, you're always going to feel like you've been wronged more. And some of us won't let go of the bitterness because when I say, oh, God forgave you so much, you're like, Psh, yeah, wh- what did I ever do to God? I never did to God what this person did to me. And what they did to me was horrible. They abused me. They harmed me. They killed my family member. You name it, man. They did way more than I've ever done to God. And that's where you need to press pause and remember what sin is. Go back a couple weeks and remember that sin is not like, well, I lied and so I sinned and, whoop, bad me. 
Oh, I got off my diet. Bad me. Oh, I lost it. You know, no, no, no. Sin is a heart condition in which the God who gave you everything, the God who gave you the air you breathe, who put the stars in the sky and made you of that stardust, put you on a planet, gave you an ecosystem, enabled you to have parents, made sure the technology was where it was at before you even got here, the God who provided you food and the enzymes to digest it, who gives you everything you could possibly imagine, including your soul and all the rules of nature and all the moral laws, the God who gave you all of that and has loved you incredibly since the day you were made, every single moment of your life, he's poured out his blessing to show you he loves you. And we turn to God and we say, you know what, God, thanks a lot but F you, here's the finger, I'm out. I want it my way, the way I want to live, the what I want to do, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell everybody you endorse me. That's offensive. That's our lives. And how many minutes, how many hours, how many days have we lived in that state? That's sin. That's the offense we pile before God. That's the mess we ask him to forgive us of. And when we see it in that context, we go, yes, people have harmed us. But at the level of offense that he's forgiven me, it's ridiculous. The millions and millions of dollars, in a sense, that he has forgiven me is nothing compared to the thousands of dollars that I'm owed. And until we can understand that God has forgiven you, it's going to be hard to get to, I can forgive someone else. But you have to let that sink in, that God has forgiven you of so much, and you forgive because you've been forgiven of so much. And so when you engage now, now you can move forward in that forgiveness. Second, it also helps you remember how to forgive yourself. Now, some of you struggle with this. You struggle with, well, I'm okay with forgiving other people. I can't forgive myself. I can't believe I would do something like that. And if you're struggling with that, I want you to remember something. You're not God. Why would you say that? Because according to the scriptures, well, there was a time when Jesus had this guy who was paralyzed brought down in front of him. And while he was preaching, he actually looked at the guy and he was going to heal the man. But before he healed him, he leaned over and he said, hey, I see your faith. Your sins are forgiven. And you know what all the good Jewish theologians thought in their mind? Who can forgive sin but God alone? And they were right. Only God forgives sin. And so Jesus said, do you want to see that I have authority to forgive sins? Rise up and walk. And the guy got up and walked out. And the point is, if God alone can forgive sin, and he has forgiven you, who are you to not forgive yourself? You have to realize that what you're struggling with is receiving grace and receiving love. And you're wrestling with the idea, how could a God love me so much? Because he is that good. He is that loving. And yes, he has forgiven you. In fact, as Paul would write it later, he says, there is no condemnation for those uh, who are in Christ Jesus. Guys, if, you're, if God's not going to condemn you, why are you playing court on yourself? You're holding yourself in the jail cell. You need to forgive, let go, be free. If God's let you go, you're just standing there in a make-believe land unforgiving yourself. You're trying to play God and you're not. Receive his grace, accept he loves you, be free from that, and move forward in your life because God has indeed forgiven you if you've received the work of Christ on the cross. Now, I hope I've challenged you enough. We need to get rid of bitterness. Are we good in this one? We got this. It's good for your health. It's good with your relationship with God. It's not only earthly dangerous and dangerous to others, it's dangerous in eternity. We need to release the pressure. So how do we do this? I'm going to give you steps because I don't want this to go wrong. And so we're going to start off with this step. First of all, list what people have done to you. You say, what? Yes, that's the first step. 
The first step as you work through forgiveness is you got to list who it is and what they did. You got to say, so and so did this to me. And this is why it's so important. You can't just forgive in general and, and reap the benefits of forgiveness. You can only forgive that which you name. If somebody has abused you spiritually at a church, you need to be able to name the person and that abuse. If you have had abuse or if you have had somebody lie to you, steal from you, cheat, you name it, you have to name what they did. Because if you don't name it, you can't forgive it. You're not going to get anywhere. You're going to have this, well, in general, God, I forgive that person. But you haven't wrestled through the issue itself. And so I want to challenge you guys that you Dive in and you actually forgive it. When you look at what God taught, when Jesus tells the parable, the king looks at the amount of money and he identifies it and then he forgives it. You have to identify it and forgive it. And some of you, when you do this, you are not ready to forgive, I guarantee it. You're going to identify it and you're going to go, and -and so-and-so did this and I'm still really ticked about it. There's no way I'm forgiving that. And because you need somebody to help you. Small groups, this is where you come and help. Uh, Accountability partners, community family members. What you need to do sometimes, you need to sit down with your friend, and you need to sit down with your family member, and you need to pray the prayer with them. You need to pray something like this. You need to say, just pray with me this. God, I forgive so-and-so for this. Say these words with me. I forgive, I forgive, so-and-so, so-and-so, for, and you name it. And what you're doing is you're helping them. They don't have forgiveness to give. You sometimes have to give them the forgiveness to hand it over. And just in the phrasing of the words, it breaks loose. It starts to release the pressure. It starts a journey of freedom. But you can be a help to your friend. You can be a help to your neighbor. You can be help to others as you release that bitterness. And so you start with listing what people have done to you. Then you move forward. Step two, then is you hand them over to, give them over to God. Just give them up to God. And this is important because you're, you're giving yourself off-guard duty and you're going, God, you got this. And here's the thing. God is the best judge in the world. He's the best one at this because when God looks at what has happened to you, he sees exactly what happened to you. He knows how you felt. He knows what the events were. He knows all the pieces. And he doesn't just weigh it for just all the other events that have happened in your life. He weighs it according to how everyone else in the world has been treated. And everyone else in history has been treated. And how he has been treated by everyone else. He weighs justice perfectly. It's not just your one event. So when he looks at this and you release it to him, he's going to deal exactly with it. Exactly how it should be dealt with. God's not up there going like, oh, never seen this case before. Uh, Angels, you want to give me a hand here? I'm not sure. Uh, No, he's going, I know exactly what that is. I know exactly how to deal with it. And I'm going to deal with it perfectly. Now, in some cases, God may bring a justice that's stronger than what you think should be done. And if you're one of those people who feel a little bitter, be confident that God's going to deal with it. And maybe you're going to smile. Yeah, get him, God. Is that okay to feel that way? I think sometimes it is. At the same time, there are going to be times where you're like, God, that's not enough. But God knows exactly what's enough. See, the, the goal here is to release your vengeance, to release your punishment, to give it to God. Just as this has to release in the atmosphere, so the atmosphere takes the pressure, so you have to release your judgment to God who can handle all the judgment. As Paul would write in Romans, beloved, never avenge yourselves. He knows what that looks like. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God will handle it. He'll deal exactly as he should. Give it over to him. 
So step one is to work through that forgiveness. Step two is to give it up to God. And then step three is to trust God's in control. And this is so critical because you'll pray this prayer, God, I forgive this person for this event, and I give them over to you. And you'll get up the next morning and say, and now, God, I'm taking them back. And you'll just, uh, you'll move on. You'll wake up and you'll feel that same anger, that same bitterness because it's a habit. It's a root. And it takes time to dig that out. It takes time to mine that out. It takes time to deal with it. And so you need to trust that God's in control. You need to go, God, I give them to you because I'm not so sure you really want to handle them. I'm not so really sure I want you to deal with this. And you're going to struggle. Is God good? Is God just? What if he forgives them? Oh, like he forgave me. That would be, no, wait, yeah. So you need to trust that God's in control. This is the power of forgiveness is to trust God with it. Now, I'll tell you a story because it's a guy named Joseph. You know Joseph. If you've read through your Bible and you've even gotten through the first, the first book, you'll have encountered Joseph. Or if you've watched The Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, you'll have encountered Joseph. And Joseph was a, a young man. The, was, he, was the, uh, he was the 11th son of 12 brothers. Uh, and uh, in this situation, he's got 10 older brothers who hate his guts. They take him, they throw him into slavery, sell him into slavery. You want to talk about a bitter pill to swallow. Your own brothers sell you away and then lie to your dad that you're dead. He winds up down in Egypt and then he's lied about again that somehow he's going to sleep with the boss's wife and she lies and he goes, gets thrown in jail. Jails at that time are dark, nasty locations. Finds out an opportunity to get out. The guy forgets about him for two years sitting around rotting in a jail. And through God's providence, he suddenly is taken out. He answers Pharaoh's question about a dream and rises up to be the most powerful person after Pharaoh in all of Egypt. In the middle of a famine, suddenly he finds himself sitting at a table because he's in charge of the famine relief effort, and all 10 of his brothers are sitting right in front of him. And he has all the power in the world. (laughs) Now that's a dream for a bitter person right there, right? If you're a bitter guy, you're going, oh, what can I do to you today? And there's some struggle, I think, that you see with Joseph. He's toying with his brothers. He's messing around trying to figure out, do I get back at him? What do I do here? And yet, suddenly, they're back in Egypt, and he does nothing to them. He doesn't punish them. He doesn't throw them into slavery. He doesn't repeat the things they've done to him. He, he reveals himself. The brothers are freaked. They're like, he's going he's gonna to mess with us, except dad's around. So they're like, oh, dad's keeping him back. And so one day, dad dies. And they all crawl up to Joseph. And they're like, you know, daddy's dead. And we're really scared you're going to punish this. Like, it's not because dad was around that I wasn't punishing you guys. No, no, I forgave you. And then he gives his reasoning in chapter 50. And this is what he says. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And what you need to get to is the place where in whatever's happened to you, whatever you're forgiving, is that you can trust that God is doing something in your life with it. No matter how horrific or how bad or how difficult it's been, God is shaping you, or maybe he's giving you an opportunity to help somebody else, or perhaps he's giving you an opportunity to know him better or to know yourself better. There's good that will come out of it, but it only comes after you've released the bitterness, given it over to God, and been able to look back and say, wow, You want freedom, you have to trust that God is good, he's in control, he's got this, and that he could possibly even forgive them. And that's why I would actually advise you to pray for that, because you need to pray for them. That's the fourth step. This is the hardest step. I've talked to a few of you over the last couple weeks, and when we talk about this, they'd say, yeah, I forgave him, but I I can never pray for him. 
I, I just can't pray for them. I'm saying, no, you've got to get to the place where you can pray for them. And the reason why I say that is because Jesus tells us to. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now, that is an intense set of statements. Don't you agree? That's not easy. But what Jesus calls us to is to live a life of such forgiveness, to live a life in which we are so full and open to forgive other people that when they come to us, we're already ready to say, I've already forgiven you. In fact, when I see you at the party, it's not going to mess things up. When I see you at the family reunion, I'm not going to be ticked. If I get you for uh, secret Santa, it's not really going to bother me. I have forgiven you. In fact, the way I'm going to now be able to approach it is I can pray for you, even possibly praying for your salvation. And I think we should. We should be praying that they'd be saved. We should be praying that they don't have to go to hell. We should be praying that they would understand because here's what you're praying for. You're saying, that's really letting them off the hook. If they're going to go to heaven after they've abused me, how can that be? No, no, because if they truly come to Jesus Christ, here's what's going to happen. They're going to come and admit everything. They're going to apologize and in the face the consequences. Because that is the fruit of repentance. Can I just tell you something? If you think you've come to Jesus and are walking with Jesus and you're not dealing with your past and the junk that you've done and you're not trying to make it right, you have not come to Jesus. You are lying to yourself. The fruit of coming to Christ transforms your heart to where you are ready to make it right with those you've harmed in the past. You are ready to go deal with that stuff and make amends and make this right. I love that about the 12-step programs because they, they literally make you go back and say, I need to deal with this because it's significant. I need to go back and deal with this because I've got to. When Christ comes in your life, it's not a blank slate, done, no more consequences. It is a moment of reckoning. It is a time to go, I can't believe I've ever harmed someone else in this way. I need to at least apologize. I'm not going to seek the relationship, but I need to deal with this. And yeah, that may mean some jail time. Yes, that may mean you need to pay some money back. And that's what keeps us back from making this world right as Christ has called us to do so. Now, he may be convicting you of that, and I praise God for that. But I want to challenge you that you cannot move forward, and you will not have spiritual deliverance and power in your life if you do not deal with your past. So I want to encourage you. That may be difficult, but you need to deal with these things. You need to make it right. And so when it comes to this, I want you to realize then that we've got to pray for the salvation, perhaps, of even those who have harmed us, that they would be right before God that they would truly receive the opportunity to be right. Now, that's not easy. And so step five is rinse and repeat. Repeat daily and as often as needed. What do I mean by that? You need to repeat it daily. You need to go back over it because it's going to keep coming back up. You're going to keep struggling with it. And so Jesus taught us, give us this day our daily bread and daily forgive us of our debts. So as daily we have forgiven our debtors, this is a daily process. We enter into it in a daily manner because we need to let this pressure out daily. You need to live the life of forgiveness so you can live from the freedom of forgiveness, so you can have the health of forgiveness, so you can enjoy a season of forgiveness so that God can work in our hearts. Guys, this is the freedom that we have. We've been transformed. We've been renewed. We have been made new. Now, what do I do if they, if they sin against me again? Peter asked the same question. He said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? That sounds like a good number. Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, as many times as it takes. 
As many as you can think of. We live a life of forgiveness. It's going to take you to go back over it over and over and over again. Even when they pile on new stuff, yep, you're going to forgive them again, and you're going to bring it out, and this is going to be a life for you of forgiving people on a daily basis so you can walk in the freedom of forgiveness and not let bitterness destroy. I want to tell you what, I've watched what this looks like. And I'm telling this story because he shared it with us at a meeting, and I'm proud of him for it, but Jared just was talked about a relationship that's hard for him and that relationship's with his dad. And and there has been a scenario in his life in which his dad was kind of around and then gone, and during that time period, it was really, really kind of bad and difficult because of the way that his father was kind of treating the family and talking about them and stuff, and he just got contacted by him only a couple weeks ago. They had, a, they had a conversation, a longer conversation, got an opportunity. And in the middle of it, his dad was apologizing for the things that he had been doing and stuff. And I love what Jared said. He said these words in the meeting. He's like, uh, you know, I, I'd already forgiven him. I wasn't mad at him. I was just concerned about his relationship with God. See, that's when our hearts are right. When you can let go any hurt by any person, and what you hope is that their, their life is right with their creator that they can be forgiven of their sins so they can have eternal life. Guys, that's the heart that will reach the 200,000 plus people around us. That's the heart that reaches your family. That's the heart that sets people free. That's the heart given to us by our God who is willing to forgive us of everything we've ever done. And I want to encourage you to begin there, to journey into this life of forgiveness. And start with this simple prayer. Here's your simple prayer to forgive. You want to take a picture of this, you want to bring it home, it's in your notes. But here it is. It says, God, I forgive, and you name the person for, and you name the event. You name the scenario. You name the situation. I release them to you, trusting you will take care of me and them and make everything right. And when you have made that prayer, and you make that prayer daily, and you work it through, you will watch as you will become a freer person You will become a happier person. You'll have joy return, and the pressure of all that unforgiveness will be released. What are you waiting for? Maybe you need to do that right now in this service. I want to encourage you to do that right there at home. If you're watching this online, you need to do it. Maybe you need somebody to help you. Turn to somebody and ask them to help you after service. Go to our prayer team to ask for help. But this is our chance to have this released from our lives. But one final thing. Maybe you're not a Christian in here today. Forgiveness of this kind is going to be nearly impossible for you. Just be honest. Because how can you give what you don't have? How can you give? How can you be sure anybody will ever take care of the true justice in this world? No, an injustice occurred. It's on you if you don't have God. It's on you. You have no other way to deal with it. And so unless you have a God who will forgive you and deal with the justice of the universe... I don't know how you forgive. And so today, maybe what you need to do is receive the gift that God has given. You see, when Jesus Christ came to earth, he died on the cross to make a great exchange. He said, here's my deal for you. You give me all of your sin. You give me all the history, all the past, and all the junk that you've done wrong to me and to others, and I will bear that on the cross, and all your punishment I will swallow. And when he rose from the dead, he said, here's what I'll give to you. I'll give you life. I'll give you all my goodness. I'll give you all my rightness with God so that when you stand before him, you will be passed over a judgment and you will enter into heaven because I've taken it and I've given you all that you need. That's the deal. Do you want it? You don't work for it. It's given to you as a gift. 
And that's what's offered to us. That's what's offered to you, a forgiveness that's unparalleled, that births a life of forgiveness. And I want to give you that chance to receive that as well. Would you bow your heads with me? And today, maybe you're here and you know you need that forgiveness. I want to tell you, it's there. It's promised to you by God if you'll receive Jesus Christ. And if you're ready to receive that, let me know right now. Just put your hand up. I want to walk you through a prayer that where you can receive it. You're saying, God, that's me. Amen. So right where you're at, maybe you start this way. You just go, God, I have sinned. And if God's convicting you, just lay those out in your heart. Lay it before him. Just kind of lay those, some of those pieces out. But I ask that Jesus would take my sin on the cross. I trust that you rose from the dead and you are now giving me life and all that I need to stand before you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making me new. Would you please come in my life now and lead me? All the way home to heaven. In Jesus' name.